Both of you have raised the centrality of work and employment, and perhaps we could now go on to look at that in a bit more detail. And I'd like to ask you, Rob, what do you think have been the key changes or shifts that have taken place since the 1940s in employment and labour markets? Well, before I answer that question, I think it's important just to stress again the centrality of work, indeed the centrality of full employment to the post-war welfare state, particularly in Beveridge's plan. The assumption was that the man would be in employment and it was the man who would be paying into the social insurance scheme. Uh, Families would benefit from this. So full employment, and just use the term the sort of Keynesian approach towards managing the economy so as to have full employment, was absolutely central. Of course, we don't have full employment, although we may be in a rather better position than some of our European competitors at the moment. Nevertheless, unemployment has been a problem. And this has been associated with a number of structural changes and a number of other changes in the British economy. Perhaps the best-known one is what's often referred to as deindustrialization, mm. which has been defined in a number of different ways, but basically we can think about it as being a collapse of manufacturing, at least in terms of employment, fewer and fewer people being employed by manufacturing industry. And at the same time, although not enough to uh, absorb the people who are made unemployed from manufacturing, a growth of the service sector. A service sector is always important to remember, has always been significant in the British economy, but we're talking about a growing range of services these days, not least those associated with uh, shops and financial services and so forth. So this deindustrialization process is an associated shift in terms of work and employment and unemployment. It's also been interesting to note, uh, from a welfare point of view, that the rate of uh, women of a working age who are actually engaged in employment has significantly increased so that in the UK now we have similar levels of employment of women as they have in the traditionally high female employment countries such as Sweden, Finland, Denmark. So you've seen a, a shift both in structural terms but you've also seen a shift in terms of the people who are working and where they're working in the labour market in which the work that is now available is often referred to as flexible employment. Mm. I use that term uh, with inverted commas around it because what it actually means is that people are now in more insecure employment. Mm. And guess who it is that those people who are more often than not? Women. Mm. Women working in some of these new service industries, working in shops, working in the restaurant and catering trades and so on. I want to be worthwhile just to exemplify what we're talking about here just by referring to where I live in Sheffield. Yes. Sheffield is a classic example of this deindustrialization. Very quickly, as most people will know, Sheffield is famous for what they call locally metal bashing, steel production, making of cutlery in the past. Thousands upon thousands of people used to work in the steel industry and metal bashing industries. That's collapsed. Literally tens of thousands of people have lost their jobs in the period from when I first moved to Sheffield in 1975. And almost as a, to add insult to injury, it's worth noting that the new service sector in Sheffield, this means in particular associated with uh, commerce, associated with a very famous shopping mall called Meadow Hall, is actually based upon where two major steelworks used to be. 
So from having the temple of manufacturing, we've now got the temple of consumerism, as it were, where typically more women than men are employed, very often on what are called zero-hours contracts, where they can be called in virtually at will and or have very insecure forms of employment. So in a way, Sheffield is a classic example of what's happened to the labour market. Not everything is shared by that across the country, but it, I think, uh, gives a real feeling to what's been going on in the, in the labour market, in the economy more generally. And could we place your story of what's happened in Sheffield, Rob, within a global context? Would you see that as important? For sure. Actually, still, in terms of the amount which is produced, is around more than it ever was, which is a really strange notion. But it doesn't employ people, it employs machines. And this has been as partially a response by the steel manufacturers and others to compete. One of the key features when we cut away some of the arguments about well, what really is globalisation is that whatever else it is, it is about world markets for goods and services world markets which are increasingly competitive in terms of cost and so that now steel workers in Sheffield, such as the few that remain, are competing not just with other steel workers in the UK or for that matter in the rest of Europe, but competing with steel workers in other parts of the world, some of which, for example, in uh, Taiwan, are working for lower wages and consequently are more likely to get their products sold than those which uh, come from a British base. So globalisation is fundamentally important. And if you hark back to what Mrs Thatcher said earlier, opening up the market to the full force of international competition has meant just that, opening it up to the effects of globalisation. Heidi, Rob's painted a picture there in which insecurity and uncertainties dominate what's happening in the labour markets and employment. What other patterns can we see that may be of interest and concern to us? In Rob's um, narrative about Sheffield, we can see that there are regional differences. So it's not a uniform phenomena. However, it's a growing pattern, and we find increasingly bigger gaps between the rich and the poor. We find a real move towards, as Rob was saying, flexible employment patterns, insecure labour, short-term contracts, every which way in, in a sense so that people really have less rights in, in work. And I think that that's a really worrying trend and we find that mirroring that, a real pull on the use of migrant labour to fill the gaps. So we find increasingly migrant labour, labour from Eastern European, places where there's been upheaval, coming to Britain. And what's very interesting is that with the ageing population in Britain, by 2020 there will be a need to have, across Europe, over 4 million migrant workers. Now, these will be people who would come not stay, and traditionally most migrant workers do not stay. They contribute to the economy and often send quite a lot of money back home, therefore fueling the whole kind of global process of mm. capital accumulation. So they are a very necessary part of the economy. So we find that there's a racialization of labour going on where people have no rights at all and yet they contribute significantly to the economy. Ideologically, a lot of haters focused on these groups. They're seen as, as I was saying earlier, as scrounging, as taking, as having no right to be here. Mm. In terms of political citizenship, they have no status. And in fact, 
our politicians very much play on that kind of notion in order to increase their popularity. So we find that there's this whole way in which there's a deepening of racialization, both ideologically and economically in the labor market. Mirroring that, though, we have very high rates of unemployment amongst ethnic minority groups, twice the rate as the British population. Black and minority ethnic young people are nearly two-thirds more likely to be unemployed as their equivalent peers. So that's another worrying trend. So on one side we have migrant labour, but the settled migrant communities here are less likely to be employed. And that's largely to do, again, with regionalization and patterns of social exclusion, people living in areas that have been de-industrialised for two generations, generations that have never known what it is to work because the mills were closed down or the pits were closed. So they might have political citizenship, but their access to kind of equality of opportunity is very limited. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.